1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13 say, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Well, I wanted to take a minute this morning to give recognition to one who labored among us, who led us in the Lord, who admonished us, and that we might regard him very highly in love because of his work. Monday afternoon, our retired pastor of 37 years, Randy Brandon, went to be with the Lord. He gave his life, his time, and his energy to his family, to this church, and to our city. He was there with us in times of celebration, and he was there with us in times of grief. During one of the worst times in my life, he sat with me and reminded me, for this we have Jesus. Despite ongoing health conditions, Pastor Randy was committed to many different ministries in the last couple years of his life. He was active on the missions team with the rescue mission, his weekly Bible study group, and giving advice and counsel to a new pastor. The man he was has forever shaped our church. In his preaching, he was committed to the word of God above all else. And the man he was has shaped me forever as well. I won't likely be alive long enough to preach as long as he did, which brings me a sort of sadness as I consider how vast and how far-reaching his ministry was over the years. Now, when an unbelieving family stands over a casket, tears, like their hope, fall to the ground never to be seen again. The grief and loss that they experience is theirs forever. But when a Christian stands over a casket, the tears that fall to the ground are gone, but their hope remains. We have a hope that unbelievers don't share. We know that Randy is now and forever will be with the Lord. Paul says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are doing. At the end of the service, I've asked the elders, their wives, we'll have prayer partners to stick around and be available and I'll be here. If you wanna talk with somebody, if you wanna pray with somebody, we're here. You can also just grab the person sitting next to you and say, let me tell you about a guy that I knew. And if you'll indulge me one more minute, on January 13th, 1973, a man named Marshall Lewis walked down an aisle with his daughter's hand on his arm. 
Marshall and his daughter got to the end of the aisle. Marshall took the hand of his daughter and transferred it to the man who was waiting. And the man for 51 years protected, gave spiritual care and physical care. And on that day, Sarah Lewis became Sarah Brannon. And that care has transferred to us, the church, and to her children, that we might exercise physical care and spiritual care, not only to her, but to all the widows, to the orphans, the single moms, to those who can't protect and speak for themselves. The church comes alongside and loves and cares As James says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Isaiah says, learn to do what is good, pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Romans says that as the body of Christ, that we belong to one another. The passage that we're in in Philippians 1, the verse we'll look at today, chapter 1, verse 21, I didn't pick this verse. The Lord picked this verse many months ago and just saw fit to show us this week. Paul says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is a win when we do it for Christ. To know Christ and die is a win. The Christian life is win-win. Living for Christ, dying for Christ are both gain. But living for anything else will end in eventual and eternal loss. That's why Paul starts this verse and he says, for me. These words, for me, are easy to skip by because they're common. You can do exegetical work and you can look at the Greek and you can try to figure out the deep meaning and there's really none. There's nothing exciting in those two or three words, for me or for to me. But behind those words, are Paul's personal conviction that for me is where Paul bases the rest of his life, the rest of his ministry. This is Paul's declaration. And he's essentially telling people, you can live any way that you want to live, but for me, your life The way you live does not change the way I live because this is his personal declaration. This is Paul's for me, that he's saying that in the the previous passage, those who are envious and rivalrous and those who have some personal gain if they try to take Paul out, I don't care about it because for me, and then Paul goes on, for me, You'll remember Paul tells the Corinthian church, I decided to know nothing 
among you. Paul knows a lot. But Paul chose to say, I know nothing among you except for one thing. Christ and him crucified. He tells the Philippians now that this is for me. There's no theological depth. There's nothing for us to glean from this. This is a personal statement of Paul's. This is Paul's absolute, this is how I live, because this is what Christ has taught me. Knowing Jesus has caused me to live this way. Someone asked me recently how to calm her nerves when going on stage for the first time. I gave her the advice someone had given me and probably thousands of people had received the same advice. I said whether there's 10 people or there's 10,000 people, you're doing it for the audience of one. One that you care about. No matter what you do, how well you do it, how poorly you do it, if Christ is pleased with what you're doing, then the rest doesn't matter. Do you have that conviction that come what may, for me, this is how I will choose to live? It's easier said than done, and I'm jealous often of Paul's certainty and his commitment here that there's nothing else that will sway him. There's nothing else that will change the way that he feels. Paul's made a choice. And it's really not a choice at all. Having come face to face with Christ, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who in their right mind would ever choose something different? Having been blind your whole life and putting on glasses so that you can see who would ever take them off? Paul doesn't care that Demas has apostatized. It doesn't matter to Paul whether people attack him or whether they hear him or whether they reject him because this is Paul's personal conviction. It's what compels him and propels him to say, for me, because Paul knows that there was a time in his life that he was walking away from Christ. And then there was a great exchange. This great exchange that Christ offered his life for Paul's trash. The life of Paul exchanged for the life of the eternal, omnipotent creator of all things. A great exchange for us that Paul recognized. My three-year-old the other day brought me a rock, and she held it in her hand, and she held it up to me, and she said, this is for you. And so I took the rock out of her hand, and I put it in my pocket, and I could tell that she was like a little bit sad because she liked the rock. It was the same rock. There's a thousand of them outside. But she liked the rock, and now it was in my pocket. And I asked her why she gave it to me. She said, because I love you. It was just simple. 
And Paul's saying, for me, and when he says for me, this is his personal statement of declaration of faith that he's handing to God his rock. And Paul says, I love you. I don't really have much to give because this great exchange doesn't go two ways. I don't love my daughter any more or less because she gave me a rock. And God does not love or offer Paul forgiveness more because Paul says that I'll do these things. This great exchange happened that God sent Christ to give his life for you and for me and for Paul. And now Paul willingly says, this is all that I have to offer. This is the for me. To live is Christ. You know what it means to live. It means to breathe, to have life, to exist. But that is absolutely not what Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about his physical life. What Paul is saying when he says, for me to live is Christ, he's saying that this is everything to me. This is my whole life. His purpose, his motto, his reason for living is to live for Christ. That's Paul's motto. That's Paul's direction. That's what Paul is committed to. For me, to live as Christ. But I want to ask you a question What would you answer and fill in a blank with? For me, to live is blank. How would you fill that in? For me, to live is... Is Christ part of your life? It's good. It's good that you're here. It's good that you read your Bible. It's good that you pray. But also, that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying, Christ is my life. He's not something I do. It's not something I believe. It's not part of who I am. For me, Paul says, to live is Christ. You remember this iconic photo in World War II where the U.S. Marines have taken the small island of Iwo Jima, which outside of a landing strip in an inactive volcano was insignificant, but in the war became extremely significant. Having taken the island, the Marines climbed Mount Suribachi and got to the top with their American flag. And you remember the photo of the Marines all planting the flag at the top of Mount Suribachi. We have taken this land we will defend this land. This is now ours. This is where Paul has planted his flag. For me to live is Christ. And he plants the flag and he says, this is where I will stand. A hill that I will die on. A line in the sand that will not be crossed. This is my flag. For me to live is 
blank. How would you answer that? The reason that Paul answers it with Christ is because of Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. This picture for Paul is that he was on the cross with Christ. That when Christ was giving his life, so too was Paul saying, here also is my life that he has been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The whole point of Paul's existence now is to live for Christ. Paul's life before was different. Before, Paul would have said, for me... To live is against Christ. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Before Paul came to believe in Jesus, Paul was very religious and devout. Acts chapter 9 says, Now Saul, who was Paul, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This was Paul's life. His purpose in life was to get letters, get arrest warrants, and take them and find people that he could arrest. The people that he wanted to arrest were the people that said, for me to live as Christ. But this is years before. And Paul is breathing out murderous threats. His life was committed to persecuting Christians. As he traveled, he was nearing Damascus, and a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. At the same time, God tells a man named Ananias that this guy Paul is coming. He says, well, I've heard that name. He likes to kill us. Yes, but he's different now. Not so sure. Yes, he's different now. Just take him and teach him and you'll be fine. He'll be fine. So Paul goes into the city and that all happens. And listen to verse 15. This is the Lord speaking to Ananias about Saul. So, but the Lord said to him, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, to kings, and Israelites. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul had everything. And when Jesus came knocking, he asked Paul, what are you willing to give up? I ask you the same thing. If Christ came knocking 
What are you willing to give up? Maybe a better question is, what aren't you willing to give up? Imagine yourself, younger for most of us, you've graduated from college, you excelled, you get into medical school, you specialize, you get out of medical school, you do a residency, it's been years of education. You get a job, and you can imagine this life ahead of you. You're making more money than you've ever made. The horizon looks sunny. There's no waves ahead. You can imagine your life being really good, really easy, plenty of money, and no problems ahead. And then Jesus comes and says, hey, you're my chosen instrument. And you think like Paul, to kings? No. To the rich and famous? No. To a beach somewhere? In Hawaii, maybe? No. You're my chosen instrument to Madeira. And your first response is, what's a Madeira? <laughs> and you come to Madeira, and for 37 years you're underpaid because the Lord called. That's Pastor Randy. For 37 years he stood here and said, for me to live is Christ giving up all kinds of future. And each one of us are better for it. How do you fill in that answer? For me to live is blank. Pastor Andy planted his flag right here. This is the hill I die on. There's no turning back. For me to live is blank. The reason this answer is important is because if you say, for me to live is Christ, then the rest of the verse makes sense. To die is gain. But if you say, for me to live is, and you put anything else in that spot, then death is a loss. For me to live is my family. I love my family. But your death means that you lose it all. For me to live is financial security. If I just had enough money to pay my bills, to not worry, to take vacations, to have something else, to get more, then my life would be complete. But if you're living for financial security, if you're living for something, then your death means that somebody else is going to spend all of your money. For me, to live is fame. I want to be known. I want someone to remember the name. 
And your death is the first step of people forgetting. For me to live is anything there means death is a loss. For me to live is Christ means that death is not a loss. For me to live is Christ means that death is a gain. But most of us have a natural aversion to death. We tend to avoid it at all costs. Jerry Seinfeld said, living is good, dying not as good. But not for Paul. Most of us are trying to live, and in the right circumstances, we might be willing to die. But not Paul. Paul is willing to live in the right circumstances. But he'd prefer to die. Because for Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've sat at the bedside of dying men trying to convince them to live for Christ whatever small amount of life they have left. One man in his late 70s, I sat with, me and his wife sat with him. And I told him, you've lived 70-something years of sin. You've lived for yourself. You've done everything that you wanted to do. And throughout your life, you've offended God many times. Those offenses, that sin in your life has a consequence. The Bible says that the wages, what we earn, what we gain, what we profit from our sin is death and hell. But also that there's a free gift from God, that it's not only death and hell, there's also the profit, the gain, the win of turning your life to Christ and repenting, turning away from the old life of sin and turning to Jesus to be saved. His wife walked out of the room and I leaned over to him and I told him, you're not going to make it through the night. Come morning, family's going to start texting and calling each other. They're all going to come over. They're going to sit and drink coffee in your living room. They're going to tell stories about you. They will already have taken your body away. How you answer the question determines the rest of your eternity. Eternity for you literally hangs in the balance. His wife came back in, sat down. And I asked him, do you want to give your life to Jesus and follow him for however short amount of time you have left? 
His lips moved a little bit, and neither one of us could hear, so we both leaned in and turned an ear to him, and he said two words that I won't forget. But I'm sure that they're haunting him for eternity. He said, no, leave. So a little after 5 a.m., his daughter texted me and told me that he had passed. I've been in the room when the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. I've been there when the doctor said, time of death, it's 4.43 a.m. I've asked the doctor, should we call the family to have them come and say goodbye? Only to hear the doctor say, you should tell them to hurry. It might already be too late. There's some of us here today that will hear words like that. We will consider it too soon. There's nothing else we can do. I'm sorry she's gone. Take all the time you need. See, but I've also sat at the bedside watching someone breathe, each breath getting further and further apart. And the family's laughing and they're smiling and they're telling stories and they're singing because they know and they have a certainty that this person lived for me to live as Christ, and therefore to die will be gain. The very next words that that dying person lying on the bed before us will hear is, hey, come on in. Rest. You're home now. See, for the Christian, death is no tragedy. It's a triumph. For the Christian, death is not an end, it's an entrance. The grave is not the end, it's the beginning of eternity. That's the beauty of this verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because it sums up everything that Paul cares about. He wants them to know that this is my personal conviction, that I'm going to live for Christ. And when I die... I will gain from it. Where is the sting of death? See, death has no victory over the Christian because for the Christian, death is victory. Sarah and Randy both like J. Vernon McGee, and I do too, so I give you this quote from J. Vernon McGee. He says, you can't hurt a man who is in fellowship with Jesus Christ. What could you do to such a man? What can you do to someone who has nothing to lose and everything to gain? You kill him and he's happy. A man named Brother Lawrence, a second century Christian, 
refused to recant, would not turn away from Jesus and turn to the Roman pantheon of gods and to Caesar. So they made a giant wooden pile and laid him on it and set him on fire. And his last words were, I believe I'm done on this side. You can turn me over now. Because he's ready. Death is a gain. There's not much left for him here. In the year 1519, Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés sailed from Spain and landed in Mexico in the New World. Having anchored their ships offshore, him and his crew came to land, brought all of their supplies, and they stood on the beach and watched as Cortés set fire to their ships. They watched as the only way home burned and sank to the bottom of the ocean. They watched knowing that they would never see their family again, that they would never know the life that they lived before, that everything had changed and nothing was going to be the way that it was. Paul says, for me, to live is Christ and die is gain. I can burn the ships and set fire to my old life, never going back. There's no turning around. And for Paul, that meant a lot. In Philippians 3, Paul details shortly what that meant for him. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, and if Anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh? I have more. Paul says, if anybody can stand before God on their own merit, it's me. Nobody, Paul believes, has more reason to believe that God would approve of him for himself than Paul. And he gives a reason. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul lists the reasons. If I stand before God, if anybody stands before God and God is going to accept them based on their own doings, then it's Paul. He's blameless regarding the law. But listen to what he says. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered a loss because of Christ. And more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. Paul is saying, even me, 
all of my righteousness, all of my cultural pedigree, my family pedigree, my professional success, his religious knowledge, it's all burned. Sets fire to everything that he's ever known so that he might have the surpassing value of knowing Christ. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want you to consider that question. For me, to live is blank. Because what you answer there also answers the following blank. For me, to live is blank. To die is blank. Because if to live is Christ, then the die will be a gain. But to live for anything else, to die will just be loss. For Paul, living is for Christ and dying is a gain. If you've never experienced that, if you don't believe that, if you don't know that dying will be better than living. I offer you Jesus, who came to earth and said, I can give you a better way, a better life, a hopeful eternity. And it's free. See, Paul here was in his own righteousness saying to God, I have a rock. Do you want to trade eternity for my rock? It's ridiculous that a rock would be traded for the life of Christ. And God says, no, I don't want your rock. Nobody wants your rock. It's a rock. God says, I don't even want anything from you. And yet I'll still offer you this exchange. Don't bring your pedigree. You don't bring your religious knowledge. You don't bring your cultural significance, your great standing among the people. You just bring a humble heart that says, all of those things are worthless. They are dung. And God says, you're right. The Bible says, if you believe, then you will be saved. If you believe that Christ came and died on the cross for your sins, that you offer nothing and he gives everything. The Bible says that you repent of your sins, to turn away from the old way of living, to set fire to the ships. The only way is forward, that you'll be saved. And hard times will come, and life will not be easy. It'll still be difficult, You'll still get a disease. You'll still get in car accidents. You'll still have headaches. You'll still have all of the things of life. But in each one of those things, you'll be able to say, for this we have Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, I'm thankful Pastor Randy's longevity, for his commitment to you. Lord, for finishing well. 
Lord, I pray that he would be a reminder and a testimony of a life lived well for me to live as Christ because he has now gained. Lord, may our lives reflect that same commitment of Paul that is a sold out and fully committed life to you. But for me, individually, we would be able to say that. Corporately as a church, that we would be able to say for us to live as Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to have a home in heaven, a hope and a joy that though we die, we live. Lord, I pray that that is impressed upon the hearts of the people that have yet to relinquish control of their life, who have yet to turn to you in faith, who live for themselves and desire to live forever because living is their only gain. Give them conviction that there is more to life, that there is more to life in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.